The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Hello and welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster and executive producer of the Spidey Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the show. This show is powered by Spidey-Dude.com. It's part of the general network that powers it. You can support this show, if you like, via Patreon.com slash Network. You can also leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. We'll play that voicemail in a future episode. We also like to get emails every once in a while. Be sure to leave us an email, if you like, gargoylesvoices at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. At Spidey Dude Network on Facebook is the general network Facebook page. But you can also follow this exclusive Twitter handle, at From Erie on Twitter. Follow us there to get show updates at both places. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, you can always leave us a five-star review. And we will read all of that feedback in a future episode. want to give a shout-out before we get started also is to our to our patrons, Scott and Venkman. Thank you for your support of this show and all the shows on the Spidey Radio Network. As always, we thank all of our guests and our host for this show. And with that, I turn it over. Welcome back to the fifth episode of Voices from the Eerie. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and joining me as usual is my partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hey, everybody. And we're really happy to welcome back the co-creator of the series, the supervising producer of the first two seasons, and the writer of the SLG comic book, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hello. And we are very pleased to bring to you, for the very first time, an unsung hero, a legend in his industry, the voice director of Gargoyles and many other TV shows, Mr. Jamie Thomason. Legend in my own mind. Yeah, hi, guys. If you hear any noise in the background, that's a margarita. Everybody gets some. <laughs> I would Perfect. hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. Anyway, I would like to begin with a little bit of news. Nick just showed us the new photos of their upcoming Demona and the box art for Thalog and this cute little plush Demona that they're releasing through their kid robot label early next year also. So hopefully by the time this is uh, posted, we'll either have these in hand or at least they'll be up for pre-order. And also, since as of this recording, our first show has gone live and we are very thankful and grateful for the very positive response that we have received so far. It's been a little bit overwhelming. I'm really happy. So far, so good. Cool. All right. We're going to be discussing Awakening Part 1, but I believe we should open this by addressing our newest guest, Mr. Jamie Thomason. As I've said, voice directors are unsung heroes in the realm of animation. People will talk about the writers or occasionally an animator or producer or the voice actors, but what you guys do is very important. So um, 
what exactly does a voice director do? And feel free to embellish as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, Jamie. What does a voice I director just, do? I just do whatever Greg Weissman tells me to do. <laughs> so that's I'm, a wise choice. Very wise choice. Just a, a <laughs> Jennifer, you were in the room with that. Is that true? <laughs> oh, of course. Absolutely. He's quite obedient. Yes. Everyone. Everyone bows. Uh, and me. But uh, what do uh, what do I do? I uh, direct actors in a recording studio, kind of like a radio play. Just uh, actors sitting in front of a mic, and we describe what's going on. Hey, you're slipping on a banana peel. Take two. And then I do whatever Greg tells me. <laughs> and then he tells them to do it funnier. <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, it's a pretty broad question. If you, if you want to... Narrow it down a little. I, I can be more specific, but uh, yeah, I hire the actors that do the voices, and then I take them uh, into a recording studio, uh, along with Greg and the production, and, uh, and we record the scripts again, kind of like a radio play. How do you how do you prepare for prep the script for the recording? Um, well, on Greg Weisman shows, and this is true, um, I sit down with Greg, and we go through the script line by line and uh, you know talk about it talk about what's going on um, backstory foreshadowing you know uh, one of the things that is very consistent in all of Greg's shows is that um, they're very superficial there's like nothing extra <laughs> yeah no, I'm sorry that's uh, I forgot very flat it's the opposite not of that very, not much yeah. depth Greg's shows are so intensely uh, sort of rich and uh, uh, complicated. <laughs> um, and there will be a line, like one line, from a character that you think is a one-off character in you know, the second episode of the first season um, that is specifically designed to pay off an entire arc in the second season, for example, um, or just in an upcoming episode. Um, and there was no way that I would know that necessarily just by reading the script. So I sit down with the man himself and we go through it line by line by line. And, uh, he gives me his thoughts. Uh, I pretend to agree and then I write them down. We keep going. And for the most part, Greg's got pretty amazing instincts. Uh, I will say that he's, um, not alone in that, uh, in this industry, but he's, uh, at the top of that particular whatever food chain. Um, most of the time, I, or I shouldn't say most, I spend a lot of time uh, getting people what they want despite what they're telling me they want. A lot of the time, folks that are very visually uh, oriented might not um, necessarily have the same kind of ear uh, that someone like Greg has. Um, and so they'll tell me, you know, I want it like this or that or something. And I have to listen to what they're saying and then figure out what they actually want and then help them get that. That's my job. The producer is what they want. He's an interpreter. 
Nice. Awesome. <laughs> we'll come back to you in a bit, but I have an episode to discuss. Awakening Part 3, the third episode of the series, and we finally meet... Well, we've met her briefly before, and we finally really meet Elisa Maza, and already, right off of the bat, she is a terrific character. I think what I really like is how unimpressed she is when she meets Sanatos for the first time, and he's an impressive fella. Yeah, she's I, used to him. I really want to give uh, props to uh, two people when it comes to Elisa. Uh, the obvious one uh, is uh, Sally Richardson, uh, now Sally Richardson Whitfield, who brought the character to life. But the less obvious one is Michael Reeves. Um, I watched the episode again last night and uh, haven't watched it for probably years. And all over it, um, in a good way, are Michael's fingerprints and uh, specifically with the character of Elisa. He really caught her voice and, um, and gave her that voice. I think a lot of the uh, Goliath stuff, for example, at Hudson's too, is a mix of um, Michael and myself, uh, things that we had sort of established going in. Um, but Elisa, more than most of the other characters are, it really is Michael bringing her to life uh, in a major way. Um, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. It's probably my fault. Um, most things are. But uh, but that was really one of his great strengths, was creating this sort of uh, very naturalistic for her current, but, you know, not locked into the time period in such a way that, you know, you, you don't sit there with a bunch of lines that reference stuff from 1994 or three that, you know, would just die on the vine today. Um, it, it feels just contemporary still and real. And that the credit for that, goes to Michael, it's easy with a character like Goliath, or relatively easy to, because he's speaking in s such elevated language to make that feel timeless. It's much harder to take a contemporary character and make her feel timeless, and timelessly contemporary is almost impossible, and yet Michael really did it. Um, and her dialogue specifically is just really uh, a tribute to both Michael and Sally. The characterization here is is really just great, and and a lot of the and, and you know it, uh, almost all of that is the two of them. Jamie helped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure Jamie did help. <laughs> did a lot. <laughs> Unsung hero, this man. <laughs> uh, I did the best thing you can do, which is get out of the way. I mean, it's it's a terrific sequence also. I mean, yeah, looking back on it years later, it does feel like Elisa conducts a bit of an illegal search after Owen escorts her to the elevator, but it leads us to that great, fantastic, iconic first meeting with Goliath that goes from terror to being intrigued. Yeah, she switches really fast. Yeah, there's, like, uh, there's... I would still be screaming once we hit, you know, something solid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, she's very heroic. I think, you know, our modern view of police officers has changed to some extent. Um, 
I think that we were way more forgiving of some of Elisa's regulatory lapses and training, which I think is accurate, uh, was you pull your gun first, you ask questions later, you know? Um, and, uh, I think I will take it as a given that that's how Elisa was trained. Um, doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that, you know, she's trained to behave that way. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes, that changes a little, but not a lot, because Elise is still a good person, way more open-minded, um, perhaps because of her family background, which soon we'll talk more about in later episodes, than um, might have been uh, for someone else. She's open to things, and um, but also she's just... Uh, incredibly curious and I think that there's something really positive about curiosity you know the fact that you're open to, to wondering about something as opposed to deciding ahead of time or be, let alone beforehand uh, I think that was part of her being a good detective very, too yeah I think that makes part of a big part of her appeal too I think also uh, I mean you mentioned her background there's so much uh sort of allegorical commentary on racism, you know, uh, in the show in general. Um, and Sally's background, and hence Lisa's background, is, you know, fairly unique mix of uh, ethnicities. I remember that was one of the challenges in casting initially. There was a more specific ethnicity as part of the spec, and we had seen lots and lots of actresses, and then we opened it up, Right. And along came Sally, and we said, boy, what is your unique background? And she was our Cherokee, I think it was, Native American and African American combined. And that's pretty unique. Right, and so and we, uh, yeah, we uh, redesigned the character slightly. She had been Elisa Chavez, uh, up to the point that Sally auditioned and got the role. Uh, and so we changed her to Elisa Maza, went through a number of last names, most of which ended up in the show, like Chavez, Bluestone at one point was her last name. Uh, Reed was her last name at one point. And so you have Maria Chavez and Matt Bluestone and Maggie Reed later in the show because nothing goes to waste. <laughs> um, and, uh, we settled on Maza and, um, but yeah, it definitely, you know, we made uh, a slight alteration to her design to, uh, with Sally's inspiration, um, got a Sally's headshot and sent it to our character designer and they made, um, slight changes to reflect the character and all of which was, you know, serendipitously wonderful for the show because, then we got stories later out of Sally's, both her African heritage on her mother's side and her uh, Native American heritage on her father's side. That All that brought us stories down the road. So it was all, uh, like I said, we tried very hard for nothing to go to waste. And I think that a lot of that experience is also why she does not prejudge. You know, prejudice has been part of her yeah. experience. 
and so she does not prejudge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a terrific first meeting, very iconic. I love Goliath's very bitter, barely when she asks if there's just if there's more than one of him. Yeah, you can really feel his pain in that. Yeah, kudos to Keith and to you, Jamie, for that delivery. That was terrific. I remember, I think what I said on that line was, uh, take one. I think that was my direction. And then Keith did it. (laughs) (laughs) And also, Goliath, kudos to you. You pronounced her name with an S on your very first try. A lot of fans for decades still can't do it. Uh, there's so many people that yeah, still call her Eliza. Eliza. I I don't really understand that. Like, because I would think most people don't read it for the first time. They hear it for the first time. Um, so I don't really understand where they're getting Eliza from. It certainly never sounds like that on the show. I get that spelling it or read, if you re- read it first, you know, you might, your brain might turn that S into a Z and then mispronounce it, but I don't really get it because most people see the show before they read anything about it. But what do I know? And have uh, they never heard the Liza the Minnelli song? Over the years. <laughs> I, it's with over the years. People mispronounce the name and misspell it, and then it's like, it's not that hard. It's five letters. Uh, it's just not difficult. But somehow that seems to be challenging. I don't know why. It's the internet. Everything is challenging, it seems. (laughs) I did notice that a lot of the dialogue in this episode specifically um, uh, was adapted from our audition side. There's a bit of Hudson's audition side in here. Goliath, Elisa's. um, When Elisa's talking about New York and the beauty there and moms mm-hmm. who read to their children like my mom did. That was out of the audition side. Uh, Goliath talking about towers of glass and iron, uh, talking about living tapestry. That's Goliath's line in the show, but it was actually, uh, I think Lexington's line in the, in the audition. And then Hudson's lines about must you humans name everything. All that was, in the audition sides as well. Um, and I, it's funny to me that so many of those speeches wound up specifically in this episode, but it is a quieter episode. I mean, the, the big act breaks are Elisa falling off the tower and the reveal that Xanatos has somebody, no way for us to know who, <laughs> hidden in a closet or something. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we use for act breaks here. Again, this was this episode, and the next episode were the one again that we sort of split up so that we'd have time. And we made this a, from a four parter to a five parter. And you can see vestiges of that, like Kat Fraley being in the episode mm-hmm. um, for just that small part of playing Brendan, who we never knew back then was going to ever appear again. And casting Marina as a second voice for Margot. Again, when we originally recorded it as four episodes, Kat was playing something else, which we'll see later. And Marina obviously was playing Demona. Um, but it, we wound up, you know, paying them for this episode alone, even though they had just a few line, handful of lines each. Um, 
because we had, by the time we were done, we had broken this off into its own chunk. Um, but it makes for a nice sort of after all the action in the first two episodes, um, it makes for a nice kind of breather, I thought. But I also see all the stupid stuff in it now more clearly probably than I did back then. Like, it's always fun seeing stuff. Hudson move up on the battlements. And she's saying, I thought I saw that stone gargoyle move. And she doesn't mention that, is she, that gargoyle wearing clothes? Uh, it's dark. Look at now and go. He's a oh, very they, dapper gargoyle. <laughs> or the moment where Goliath looks at the TV screen and calls it a living tapestry, which makes perfect sense when you're watching TV, except what happens to be on screen at that moment is a still frame picture of a tower. The first and, and last time he'll be interested in the TV by, screen. Yeah, we tried to fix it by having the screen, the image on screen, do a truck in on the tower, start wide and truck in. So at least it was moving, but there's nothing, there's a camera move, but there's no actual movement on screen. I'm like, yeah, that's some living tapestry you got there. Um, and so there are all sorts of things like that. Like, uh, Oh, I can't, fly i could only glide on currents of air and there are none strong enough here only the wind is blowing everything <laughs> yeah. mightily and and usually we just took it for granted okay just trust us there's wind that's how they're moving when they're going through the air because uh, we've already established that but we rarely got such great wind animation as we got in this one moment when he's saying there's just not enough wind um, yeah, he's saying it to Elisa, and Elisa's hair so is like that's blowing what I, back. When I rewatch these things, I keep seeing all the stuff where it's like, yeah, we dropped the ball there. Yeah, we dropped it there, too. Oh, well, we dropped the ball there. <laughs> One of my favorites in that episode is in that uh, scene, the the Margot scene. First of all, just hearing Marina playing that, uh, you know, sort of bitchy, blonde, rich lady, giving poor Pat Freely a hard time. But hearing her do that in her very uh, American uh, upper, whatever, upper west side accent, uh, that's awesome. But the thugs uh, that uh, attack them, there's, uh, you know, a big, whatever, tough looking African-American guy who's right there in the center. Um, And then there's that, you know, skinny, bald, white guy that's... uh, over to the side, and the skinny bald white guy is like, yeah, he's talking like that. Um, and that's played by Keith David. And the big African-American tough guy in the center, that's voiced by Jeff Bennett. Because <laughs> obviously something <laughs> happened between when we recorded Jeff, him. Jeff Bennett got one, a workout in this episode. Yeah, he has more than uh, more than two voices, we'll say. <laughs> but because uh, we do that, you know, in uh, TV animation in general, people double and triple up uh, on voices. Um, but obviously, I mean, I'm assuming they were like thug number one, thug number two, and thug number three, and somewhere between when we recorded them and by the time they got uh, animated, the number one and number two got switched somehow 
in the artwork. But that cracks me up. I think it works so good. Me too. Great. Since we have you here, Jamie and Greg, we do need to talk about the casting of this show because this is a wonderful cast, one of the best casts I've ever heard brought together for an animated series. I mean, what was that process like? I mean, casting each of the mains. So easy, so quick, and... Oh, wait, yeah. I think you're lying. (laughs) Some of it was. Some of it was. Some of it genuinely was. Some of it was that's what exactly, yeah, it's exactly right. Some of it, uh, Marina Sirtis, for example, and we auditioned, uh, I'm sure most people, but she walked in, she read Demona, and we just looked at each other. Yep. Uh, uh, Tom Adcox at Lexington. Um, I, before going to Disney, uh, was very briefly a, a voiceover agent for Blink for about three and a half, four months. And Tom Adcox was one of the uh, guys at that agency and I just heard him talking in the hallway. He'd never done voiceover before. I heard him talking in the hallway and thought, what is that voice? And uh, brought him in. Uh, that's as an agent. Brought him in, got him cast as Felix the Cat. But I digress. <laughs> uh, we have Lexington, and we were talking about this. I got a guy. He's got a really unique voice. And Greg, I don't... I'm sure you remember... I don't, if we did lots of, in my mind, we only did one audition. We just, you know, read Tom and gave it to him. But I'm sure that we must have read other people too. But uh, like, Tom yeah, I mean, we Bill Fogerbachy as Broadway is also easy, huh? Yeah, I think what we did is for the trio is, um, I mean, we auditioned a bunch of people um, for everything, even Demona. Uh, Marina was the first person to read for Demona. And we knew she was the one, but we already had like eight other people scheduled that day to come in and read. We didn't send them home because we thought, well, you never know. Maybe someone's even better. But no one was, of course. Um, but, yeah, I know we auditioned a bunch of people for Brooklyn, Lexington and Broadway. But what we wound up doing, because we didn't know what Gargoyles should sound like. And Tom and, and Bill really solved that for us because it was like, okay, let's get something uh, gravelly in there. And so Tom has this higher pitch gravelly voice and Bill had this lower pitch gravelly voice. And so we just then went to Jeff Bennett, who has been a hero to me going back to bars. Um, and we went to Jeff Bennett and said, okay, so here's Tom at the high end. Here's Bill at the low end. You find the guy in the middle. And of course, Jeff being Jeff just did that. You know, um, created this amazing voice for Brooklyn on the spot just by listening to Tom and Bill. I mean, we cast Jeff without really having a final set voice for Brooklyn. He figured that out the first day in the booth, right? I mean, that's my memory. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we described the character. Marina actually was this tougher kid, and that sort of thing. But the main thing was. That character description, yeah. but really the sound, right somewhere in between those two guys. And Jeff just threw a dart, nailed it. Right. Marina actually came in originally to read for Elisa. Yeah. Um, she was literally the first yeah. person through the door to read for anything. Um, she came in to read for Elisa, and she wasn't quite right for that. But we liked something in her voice and thought she might be great for Demona. 
but we didn't have the Demona sides ready yet. So we had to ask her to come back. Yeah, she remembers it very clearly. Um, (laughs) There are many things that uh, Marina is not prone to let us forget. Um, Yes, I can think of a couple. (laughs) So she came back and, and was the first person to read Demona. Uh, and nailed it, but we didn't tell her at that moment because we had other people scheduled that day. Um, you know, Asner, we talked about um, previous episode, but, uh, you know, uh, Ed came in, uh, read Hudson, um, and, the, and of course nailed it. I had based the character on him, so mm-hmm. I, I never thought we'd get him. The character, the character is great. Hudson, Hudson hates spunk, which is a Lou Grant line to Mary yes. uh, Richards and Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, and uh, well, not that Hudson hates spunk, but the line in the Lou in uh, <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore was, "I hate spunk." But um, and then we then threw him this curveball by saying, "Now that was great. Can you do it in a Scottish accent?" Yeah, how's this Scottish action? You know, yeah, he just on the spot pulled it out of uh, and did it, um, and was great. So those characters were relatively easy. Those five characters were relatively easy to nail, and then came Xanatos, Goliath, and Elisa, and those were considerably less. It took a little bit longer. And the problem was yeah, Zan- we auditioned. Uh-huh. Yeah, the problem with Xanatos initially was that we kind of had an embarrassment of riches. We had a bunch yeah. of people who auditioned who were good, and so it was like, wow, these. There were at least three, probably more, but at least uh, two or three that we thought were great. How do we pick? We wound up going with Jonathan. Oh, well, then this is a good story. Go ahead. We Speaking of stories that the actors don't let us uh, forget. And recorded Jonathan Frakes. And then what happened next, Greg? Well, the thing to keep in mind is that, so we had had our first recording and, and Xanatos is in the first episode. And it, our first recording went really well. And we, you know, got the tape together. Back then it was on literally cassette tapes. Um, and played it for our boss. Gary Kreisel and Gary thought it sounded great and we were good. And then the second episode, and Jamie, I don't know if you remember this, but normally we recorded at a place that in those days was called um, Screen Music. Yeah. But I cannot remember why, but for some reason we were under the gun time wise and the only thing we could do was record at a different studio yeah. on a weekend. And oh, I didn't remember the weekend. Day, it was incredibly hot. And they opened, yes. the owner opened the studio for us and then left. And not the, the air actors in the booth, which include, yeah, he had not turned on the air conditioning. And so the actors in the booth were just dying. Um, and we're calling him to come back in, the owner. And he comes back in, but he's in a he's pissed off that his weekend has been interrupted. So what he does is he just cranks the air up to a eleven or whatever, 
you know, a thousand and leaves again. So within minutes, these people who have been sweating are now freezing in the booth. And we have to call them to come back in and normalize it. Um, and I mean, the short version is, is that that recording sucked. We played it for our boss and it, and it was bad and not just, and everybody was bad because it was, the conditions were just impossible. And, but the thing was, is the good news was if that had been the first recording, we would have been in real trouble, but we had a great first recording. So the one new element was Jonathan as Xanatos, because Xanatos hadn't been in that first episode. So as Jamie said, because we had had so many great choices for Xanatos, um, the question became maybe not like the day was a problem, the environment was a problem, the studio was bad, the temperatures were preposterous. It became maybe the problem's Jonathan. Um, and we had other good choices, so let's go with one of them. So we went with, in essence, the guy who uh, nearly got it, and we did one recording with him, and it was a nightmare, as I recall. Um, nightmare is strong. And then uh, we, I recall it, didn't, it, being like, it didn't inspire oh my God, this is it didn't, not right. It's it's uh, it made us feel better about uh, our first pick, but still wondered about the third. Well, so we went to the third guy who was actually very good, but as the uh, five-parter progressed, you know, he, re he recorded this, re recorded the second episode and was there for the third, fourth, and fifth. And as it progressed, I just thought, this is a great actor, but his sound is wrong for the character. He sounds too old. Uh, and he was older. Uh, and, and he was terrific. But the sound just wasn't right, and I. It also, point, it also, it, it, it lacked. It was everything was everything was good, but it um, there was an X factor that was missing. There was something. It, it was that special. Right. It was it was all good and very correct and very well acted, um, and he was an, an easy actor in the booth and very you know practiced at this, but there was a an X factor missing. So we scratched our heads and then. So I became convinced we needed to go back to Jonathan that, you know, the problem had not been Jonathan had been the, that weekend day in the torture chamber that was the booth <laughs> that particular day. And, and uh, there was a lot of resistance to going back to him. Um, but I, uh, convinced Gary that we should and we so we did and we re-reported all four of the last four parts of uh, this five-parter and never looked back because of course Jonathan yeah. was terrific after ex excluding that very first day so that was the challenge with Xanatos the challenge with Elisa and Goliath uh, was different um, we heard a lot of great people and a lot of people felt close people who ended up being in the show ultimately because we discovered well this person was great but they just weren't quite capturing it for us well particularly and, with Goliath uh, I mean we read a lot of amazing actors some fantastic actors 
And but we, you know, kept reading and we were never 100 percent positive. And then someone would come in and be even better. So, oh, wow, this person. And we were, you know, we kept going and we kept finding this person's even better. Hey, now this guy's even better. Hey, now this guy's even better. And I was convinced it was going to be Clancy Brown, who, who auditioned very late. And uh, it's one of the uh, <laughs> most memorable auditions uh, for me because he walked in the booth in character. And I had never met Clancy before. And uh, uh, <laughs> he started the audition, you know, and he was Goliath. And so he was <clears throat> staring through the glass at me. And you know, I gave him some notes. And he would just, and he was just staring. <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh my God, this guy's going to leap through the glass and kill me. I didn't know what was up other than he hated me. And then we completed the audition. He was really good. <laughs> and, then just, and then he was just like, he smiled. Hey, thanks. That was fun. And I thought, wait, what? What happened to the serial killer a second ago that was going to, he was just so in character. <laughs> Uh, and Clancy, I hired Clancy a lot after that, uh, including in our very first episode. And then one day, Ray, in walked. Uh, so we kept, I, I think, being willing. Again, we heard so many great people for both Goliath and Elisa that we, I think Jamie and I kept being, and Frank, we were all sort of willing to settle for this pair or that pair and it was actually Gary um, who kept saying you're settling this isn't it yet and then um, Jamie said hey got this guy coming in I think he might be pretty good his name's Keith David and I immediately said got him confused with another actor named David Keith Keith um, How could you mix those two up? In, That's... An, officer, an, officer and an officer and a gentleman. And I was just yeah. going, I don't know. You know, I I don't know if if uh, he's right for it. I can't quite picture that. And um, and then quickly we realized that we were talking at cross purposes, um, and that I was thinking of the wrong guy. Um, and I said, Well, all right, I don't know this Keith David. What's he been in? And then the first thing that you said is um, they live. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is he the guy who has the 15 minute fist fight with Rowdy Roddy Piper? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. He's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That movie is one of my true guilty pleasures and keeps rolling. It is so much fun. Um, (laughs) and, And Keith came in and, and, you know, the Shakespearean and Keith got it. And, of course, he's got those great deep chops. And um, he just nailed it, you know. Yeah, and uh, likewise, Sally came in and nailed Elisa after all the – I mean, we must have – I'm not exaggerating. We must have heard hundreds of Goliaths and hundreds of Elisas. Absolutely. Um, you know, we For didn't have that months. kind of those kind of numbers on any of the other characters. But – our two leads, we just heard hundreds of people before finding uh, Keith and Sally. And they were great. They also had immediate chemistry when we got them together in the booth uh, in this episode. Um, you could just sense it right away. This great 
actor's energy between them. Um, and such contrasting characters and yet complimentary. It, it just, it worked. And Gary, again, to Gary's credit, you know, was like, see, I told you. And he had, and he was right. You know, we had had a lot of good people who were um, strong, but we weren't quite nailing it. And with Keith and Sally, Gary immediately said, now you got it. And he was right. And, um, and so I'm, uh, you know, one of the many things I'm grateful to Gary for is not letting us, uh, uh, we didn't even think we were settling, but in essence, he knew we were somehow. And, and, uh, and so we wound up with this incredible cast of regulars. And then of course, Frank Welker is Bronx. I, I think Bronx was the only, uh, character that we only two people auditioned for Frank and Jim Cummings auditioned for Bronx. But even as Jim was auditioning, he's like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I know you're going to give it to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> he said that in the booth. <laughs> and, it's almost you know, funny Jim that we, right. that we <laughs> had we loved, we loved Jim. So we had Jim come in to play uh, Dingo and uh, among others. So well, He came in a couple of um, I think a lot of people we met in that booth for the first time, like Clancy, Marabina Hymas, uh, Elisa Gabrielli, uh, Michael Dorn. Uh, there were a lot of people we met for the first time in that booth who we didn't know prior to that um, and who did great stuff auditioning for characters that they didn't end up uh, getting, but which we saw, wow, these people are great. Let's find something else for them and for a lot of them eventually we did yeah including in the very first episode Clancy's playing Hakon I just yeah. love that of, of Keith's you know filmography or whatever that they live is the one you jumped at not bird not uh, platoon dude it's quality entertainment quality <laughs> yep <laughs> dude, uh, but it's just, uh, he has so many great news uh, platoon. What's the other one? Oh, Article Ninety Nine, uh, where he has the speech that talks about what Article Ninety Nine is. So they're Vietnam. Anyway, the point is, lots of great, <laughs> great uh, movies, and then they live is the one that Greg jumped out at. See, my first thought would have been the thing, though. So another great movie. He's he's yeah, he's in the thing. Especially before I Platoon. Even. I love that movie so much. I do too. Uh, I mean, Keith is always, always great. Um, so, it, but I don't know why. <laughs> I just have such a a warm spot in my heart for that incredibly long fist fight between the two lead heroes. Um, <laughs> and it's not even like a misunderstanding. Like a lot of times. The two heroes. He, did, he just doesn't want to do it. The other is the bad guy, and so they fight. You know, but it's just about I'm not helping you. Know, you're going to do it, and they just keep fighting, and it goes on and on and on and on. It's like incredible, um, and it was just so much fun. Uh, just uh, so that sticks out for me, and of course, you know, I adore uh, Keith. Uh, he's a good friend now, and and uh, you know, so many friendships that came out of uh the show i even like jamie uh <laughs> what's yeah. not to like i thought you were talking about uh, 
kind oh, of. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the casting experience on this show was uh, unique. Um, we cast not only hundreds and hundreds per role. I mean, that's people that we brought in, in addition to you know hundreds of submissions from agents, um, and for well over six months. Um, that is, I had already uh, sort of generated a buzz in the voiceover community because just from the audition sides, um, everyone could tell this is a really well-written show. This is a special show. Um, and as that buzz spread, you know, I was able to get sort of better and better and higher end and higher end, you know, folks that had never done animation before. Um, you know, wanted to come in and read. Um, I remember uh, Alfred Molina coming in to read and thinking, this guy's an amazing actor. How can we not hire him? And uh, he was somewhere in the middle and it kept going from there. But one of my favorite lines is after it was all over and we had started recording the series. And one of the Asians, you know, uh, that I speak to a lot, <laughs> uh, actors keep calling her and asking, hey, hey, who'd they go with? Gargoyles, who'd they pick for gargoyles? Who'd they go with? And uh, so she finally just started saying, uh, whenever someone said, who, you know, who, who got gargoyles? She would just say, oh, they, they went with the real ones. <laughs> Which I thought was a great line. <laughs> um, and in a way, depending on how you look at it, Anyway, it was uh, it was a unique, uh, exhaustive, uh, ultimately very fulfilling experience. Did I mention exhaustive? Was this the first time you'd worked with Greg? Um, well, he was a development exec, so I knew him. Uh, you know, for however long I'd been there, so it was fairly early, probably in my first five years there. Um, but Greg had been there, you know, well before I got there, and uh, this was his first. Uh, Run being a producer, he was, you know, one of the, were you the head of development or to me, you were the head of development, but I know you had other people that you reported to or whatever. Uh, yeah, I was head is, of series development. Yes, so there were other people who were in charge of cast of, uh, of movies and, and, uh, things like that. But I was head of series development. What year did you start at Disney? Do you remember? Um, 90. I believe ninety. So I wasn't there that much longer than you. I, I started in eighty nine. Yeah. Um, so, so we had interacted and stuff, but but there's no doubt this is where uh, we. This is uh, when we got married. We were sort of forced our our friendship, our working they relationship. bonded because um, we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, you can't spend. We did. I also was the guy who. In, I also can be blamed for this. I insisted that he hire an assistant. Oh, I knew um, You're the only reason I got because it. Because uh, I was by myself. I started the department by myself. And then uh, it was my bitterness already showing. And um, then uh, I had uh, half time, 20 hours a week. They gave me something to, to help out. And, you know, the the whole division was exploding you know we went from like three series to six seven eight series plus all these movies all at the same time and i was still largely by myself 
Um, and, uh, yeah, it was because of Greg's insistence, because he was a big league executive, that uh, I was able to get uh, more help. The other thing that this show did for me, Disney's famous for... Right, uh, and, but what he's leaving out is that the, the assistant he hired is, is now currently his ex-wife. That is true. That is one of so the. So I can be blamed for his. Yes. You can be blamed I can for be blamed for uh, his for his uh, marriage and children. Um, uh, I don't know that you could take any responsibility for my children, but, um, <laughs> but yes, I would not be here had I not. But in any case, uh, the other thing about gargoyles is there. Uh, Mm-hmm. You want to dive more into my personal if life? If there's or? no assistant hired, then there's no marriage. If there's no marriage, there's no kids. That is true. That is true. So really, um, you, owe, you owe me your your kids to me. Well, if you want to take responsibility for that, there's a lot of other responsibilities that I don't think you want to accept. But we'll go into that later. Um, Disney, I had been there for a while. And the understanding when I got hired, again, started the department by myself. Um, they say, hey, you'll be, you know, you'll be directing, you know, uh, in less than a year. And I was, like, in six months, I was, you know, directing a show, and it was, you know, became a big hit. And um, uh, so they did everything they said, you know, uh, and they hired me because the place was exploding, getting really big and all this and uh, they did everything except for the one thing that they didn't quite ever get around to, and that was giving me a raise of any kind. And I was making nothing. And uh, ultimately, I had to quit my job three times at Disney. And each time my salary either doubled or tripled. But in this particular instance, as it pertains to gargoyles, um, I had just started to, you know, putting my foot down to quit the first time. And... The uh, the head boss said, "Okay, let him quit," and I was not super happy about it. But what are you going to do? But then gargoyles came out, and you guys had an, uh, an event, a press event in New York. And remember, they've already accepted my resignation, and they go to New York and they have this press event. And then magically, they come back from New York, and I get a call from my boss. And he says, okay, you can stay here with tri- tripling your salary. And I thought, wow, no explanation. And then, Greg, you're the one that told me what happened. Do you remember this? You know, <laughs> in New York, you were, you were in New York. Um, it's you and Ed Asner, largely, that I have to say. They're in New York, and um, it was Ed and Keith, and I don't know if Jonathan Franks was there or not, but they, the press had asked something about, you know, the recording experience or something about, somehow my name came up and asked about me. And, um, and Ed Asner in particular, uh, you know, said some very nice, wonderful things about me. But there was also, you know, some tongue-in-cheek making fun of me you know, roaring and waving my arms around and stuff. Um, but, and then after the press event, they were just chatting and somewhere in that chat, my name came up. Anyway, the point is the big boss was there and he heard all that. 
And so he came back and told my direct boss, all right, keep him. And so, Greg, I also have you to blame for that. Okay, all staying of, that, staying at Disney for all of that happened, but it wasn't in New York. Oh, I thought it all was of that York. happened, but it wasn't in New York. Oh, where was it? No, it was at uh, the Universal Sheridan. Oh. Home of the 2001 Gathering. Yeah, that. Yes, I remember that. No, no. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but this was. This was uh, the same day as the better than Bill Fogerbachy's better than Barney story. Uh, so that that was the same day. It was Asner <laughs> and Frakes and me and Gary and Bill Fogerbachy, but it wasn't in New York. That's what was throwing me. It's like talking about this New York thing. I'm like, I don't remember ever doing it. There was something else I guess you guys did in New York. It wasn't in New York. It was in it was in Universal Studios. <laughs> it was at the Universal Sheridan. Uh, guys, I apologize, but it's, uh, I got a meeting uh, for Young Justice. I have got to leave right now. Uh, all right. Um, well, Greg, we can continue this at a later date. Actually, we we exhausted all of our points for you. We, I was going to bring up the names, specifically Hudson Gaines' name, but we can save that for Awakening Part 4 when the trio and Bronx get their names. Okay. All right. That's good. I got to go. Greg, Bye, thank guys. you for – thank you. Busy man. And Jamie, we can continue Sorry. with you for a little bit longer. Oh, sure. Yeah, if, I if you would like. For some reason, I, yeah, I, can, I had this. Now we can talk about hours. Greg like we wanted to all along. <laughs> In the meantime, okay. it's you know what we're lucky to have. We are lucky to have someone else here who has who has had a prof- professional experience with Jamie Thomas and. Those of you listening to listening to the show who haven't listened to Spectacular Radio or didn't watch Spectacular Spider-Man may not know, but Jennifer L. Anderson is also a veteran when it comes to voiceovers and voice directing. I you're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, the L stands for lovely. Yes, it really does. <laughs> yeah, I work with him on Young Justice too. Excellent. Oh, I like working with Jamie. He's a sassy boy. Well, since I, since yeah, all right, I'm the sassy one. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Jen, you can move over and sit in Greg's guest seat because now, as far as I'm concerned, officially you're a guest, even though you didn't officially oh, work on gargoyles. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what are the uh, differences between voice directing, TV, movies, and video games? Oh gosh, um, I wish it was just that simple, simply delineated, but um, it also has a lot to do with, you know, genre, style, uh, you know, on the individual piece. But um, one of the clear differences, anyway, is in television, um, we tend to do ensemble recordings um, with ideally the entire cast. Uh, On Greg Weissman shows, that's not always easy because... They might have 20 actors as opposed to a more common, regular, old-fashioned Saturday morning animation uh, show might have, you know, eight actors, maybe 10 actors. Um, it's a lot easier to get eight or 10 actors in the booth at the same time than it is to get, you know, 15, 20 actors. But in the case, in TV, uh, we, the goal is to do an ensemble recording. Everybody's there in the booth at the same time. Um, and then it's really much more like 
like a radio play. Um, and another tangible difference is that, uh, as I mentioned before, in TV, actors uh, can do three voices per episode. So that's why Keith David is, uh, you know, in addition to Gar, uh, uh, Goliath, he's also in Awakenings, you know, three. Uh, he's the he's the skinny, nasty dude. In uh, episode one, he's the top way at the beginning. You know, the famous street pizza scene. Um, the cop when the when Eliza. I'm sorry, Elisa. <laughs> oh my <Eliza>. God! <laughs> Not you too, Jamie. <laughs> She drives up in that red hot car. Why that car does not get more attention, I don't know. But she That's a sweet you know, turns car. up. Yeah, it's an awesome car. And she jumps out and she runs up to a cop and says, What's going on? And he says, I don't know, it must be some some heck of a party up there, something like that. That's Keith David, is that cop. Um anyway, and Jeff does it seems at least three voices in every single episode. So that's a tangible difference. In uh features, um, for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, it's one actor at a time and uh, one character. They don't do multiple characters. Or if someone does do multiple characters in a day, they get paid for each character. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes we'll care a couple actors, like I did the movie a couple of years ago, Vinsky. And so... Uh, we had them come in together, and not surprisingly, they had great chemistry together. And so they came in, you know, and bounced off each other, and that was great. Um, but for the most part, in movies, one person at a time. So that's a major difference. In video games, it's almost exclusively one person at a time. Um, and uh, the neat thing about video games is that you know, a TV episode script is whatever, 30-ish pages. Um, a movie script is, you know, whatever, 90-ish pages, a little more. Um, and the video game is, you know, a thousand pages. Maybe All in a huge spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's hundreds of pages at least. Um, because they, the characters have their cinematic you know, dialogue, the little movies. Um, but there's tons of gameplay dialogue. And some of it is just as mundane as, you know, look out! Ah! Oh! Oh no! Ah! Like 25 versions of that. 25 versions of whatever, death screen. This time you're getting torn in half. Ah! Then you're getting, a, you know, a pike right through your skull. Ah! And... I mean, there's hundreds of those kinds of lines. So actors, as you may imagine, love doing that. <laughs> Not really. They don't really love they, that. They don't. <laughs> um, so that's a, a, a big difference. Um, if it's a celebrity record for a video game, like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is doing Iron Man, um, he doesn't have to do all of that gameplay stuff. Uh, you know, celebrities, I remember Robert specifically coming in seeing and saying, I'm not, uh, doing that, right? He <laughs> said, don't, don't, don't worry. So he, you know, just did the movie dialogue, as it were. 
Um, and then we have voice uh, match, you know, who come in and do all that screaming and other stuff. Um, in Iron Man specifically, it was easy because, you know, it was, you know, had the helmet on and there was a filter on his voice. So it sounded like, it really sounded a lot like it. Uh, it was easier to, to match it. In any case, that, uh, those are some of the tangible differences uh, between them, but um, I don't know how much nuance you want me to go into. You, you approach them differently. Interesting. That was very fascinating to listen to. And um, you and Greg Wiseman have worked together across uh, at least three different shows in four different decades, and you two have made a lot of magic together with terrific casts and... Um, I am looking forward to seeing what you two do next. Uh, but I wish Greg was here, was still here, so I could ask this question. But what has been different about each show? Would you say there was a difference in doing Gargoyles versus doing Spectacular Spider-Man versus doing Young Justice? Unique differences between those three series? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, um, I don't know. Uh, it's easier to point out what's similar, which is <laughs> how how well written they are, how well. You know, Greg is, um, well, he's not here, so I can be complimentary. Greg is um, a really smart guy. He, he knows his way around the story. Um, and uh, he's also a huge, you know, uh, Shakespeare fan and expert. And uh, his, his stuff is so multi-layered. And uh, like I say, such lush storytelling and... Um, you know, each episode is rich, but the arc of the story is more than just the episode. You know, it's the series and ultimately the multiple series. And his stuff is so well thought out <laughs> uh, that it, you know, it works so well on all those levels. Each individual episode is great on its own. And then the multiple episode arcs and then the entire season and then one season to the next season to the next season. So that is one of the unique things about his shows. Not that he's the only person in the world that does that, but he's the only person that does it like him. Um, but some of the uh, unique differences between those three series, well, one of them that jumps out is just uh, technologically, they were very different experiences. Um, uh, I tend to do a lot of uh, editing on shows like this where there's a lot of dramatic acting as opposed to, you know, just fun, goofy <laughs> Saturday morning goofy stuff, um, which is awesome and fun. Uh, but shows like this that have a lot, uh, a lot of, you know, straight dramatic acting, um, Sometimes, depending, uh, I end up doing a lot of uh, editing. And <clears throat> nowadays, that dialogue editing is pretty easy to do. You can do it on the spot in the booth in Pro Tools. You know, I can say, hey, take the first part of that and take the second part of that one. Just take that laugh at the end of that other line from the other scene and put that right there. And they can do it on the spot. Well, with gargoyles, <laughs> piecing stuff together, um, we literally did it... Um, Film used to be made on something called film. <laughs> uh, it's mm -hmm. all digital. Many moons um, have passed. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Quentin so Tarantino still yeah. shoots on film. He does. He does indeed. Um, so 
for dialogue editing back then, uh, I would sit down with the editors, um, and they had uh, mag stock, it's called, which is, um, you know, it looks like the way you think film looks like. It's a couple inches, you know, plus wide with the little, you know, not just the holes on the sides, and um, but it just has the dialogue track. Um, there's no picture on it. Anyway, uh, and if I wanted to cut from one take, I want to take this part from take one and this part from take two. And to do that, they would have to, they would cut the mag on bias, it's called. So it's uh, on an angle. I suppose to straight, cut on an angle. And, you know, have to try to, if you had to really fit something close together, A from one thing, they would literally... They would cut it with a razor blade, and then they would turn the razor blade on, on its side and kind of like shave it down a little bit. That's crazy. It out or wow. <laughs> yeah, um, and only because they liked me because <laughs> that was just a lot, a lot of extra work. Um, we were so spoiled yeah. nowadays. Yeah, so that's one major difference. Um, again, because the stuff tends to be very dialogue heavy and uh, dramatic um, in any case. Uh, yeah, that's a huge difference, cutting on that and cutting in Pro Tools on the spot in the booth in front of the actor. But, uh, the, those are two extraordinarily different experiences. Um, other differences <clears throat> from Gargoyles to Spectacular Spider-Man to Young Justice. There are so many similarities I can think of. Differences. He had to learn to put up with uh, me. That was a huge I, I got to enjoy. I got to enjoy uh, Jennifer L's presence much more. Uh, <laughs> though I must have met you at some point during Gargoyles, but certainly after that, uh, yeah, much more. I'm trying to think that there are unique. Differences. You're gonna edit out all these huge pauses, right? Of course. Yep. Uh, yeah. Anytime you sound yeah. dumb, we're gonna cut that out. <laughs> oh God, there'll be nothing left. You're gonna cut me down to 20 seconds. Um, <laughs> we're keeping that one in. I can't. I mean, the teams were different, but you know, they're all awesome. You know, Spidey was probably a little more uh, lighthearted. You know, the show itself. A lot of the time, whippy. Technologically, just the only thing that really jumps to mind because uh, oh, I think this is what the sentence I was in the middle of was. You remember, Gargoyles was in the nineties, and uh, Young Justice has been for the last ten years, I think, been going on for a while because there was a little hiatus there in the middle. But uh, the technology, you know, with each passing decade, has uh, changed dramatically. But the shows themselves, all very fulfilling, you know, great storytelling, great characters, uh, got great casts. I mean, Gargoyles cast over the episodes, uh, the seasons, it was just spectacular. I mean, all three of the shows, you know, that was great. all three of those series had great casts. I remember one time uh, with Gargoyles specifically. We were in the booth, and like I say, uh, 
goal was to always have all the actors together doing a big ensemble record. <clears throat> and I remember one time looking out in the room and the number of <laughs> fantastic actors in the room at the same time was insane. Uh, there's one episode where we had the three different stars of the Royal Shakespeare company, um, three different uh, definitive Hamlets. David Warner was the definitive Hamlet of uh, his day in the 70s. Um, and uh, we had David Warner, Roger Reese, Malcolm McDowell. Oh, Malcolm um, McDowell. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell and Peter Strauss uh, were actually, I, I don't think they were in the same episode, but they were both going to be there the same day. And um, they both uh, were married to the same woman um, at different times. And so one of them hurried out <laughs> when he was done before the next one came in. Um, but yeah, Malcolm McDowell, John Reese davies Roger Reese, David Warner, someone else that I'm missing, I can't remember, another Royal Shakespeare Company star, um, you know, and then with Ed Asner and a bunch of other folks, and it was just, it was ridiculous. It was one of those episodes that had like, you know, 20 actors in it, and over 10 of them were luminaries of one way or another. Um, so, uh, whatever. It was just one of many really great uh, experiences. But all the series, all three of those series have fantastic casts, fantastic writing, amazing characters, amazing stories. Um, they're just really special, fulfilling experiences, those three series. And it was special. And that's what's similar about them. Nice. They were definitely special for us sitting at home watching them at the time. We remember them all these years later. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm very glad. Yeah, and new generations too. It's it's so nice watching yeah. everybody watch, rediscovering the show through Disney Plus. It's been it's been wonderful to watch. You know, new people discover it. People who watched it as kids rediscovering it. Um, it's just really. Uh, Disney Plus has really done some wonders for us. It's been getting a lot of attention lately from new merchandise, new articles in IGN and CBR and all sorts of places. It's been terrific. Yeah, uh, there's been new buzz about uh, the live-action Gargoyles, too. I'm not quite holding my breath just yet, but fingers crossed that it happens, and it's good. I know um, Jordan Peele pitched it at one point, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, when they asked him, hey, if you could do one movie, what would it be? And this is the movie he's at. Heck uh, yeah, he knows what's good. Pretty. And that was right after he won the Oscar. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's named him. Um, so it's got to happen one way or another, I think. Well, here's definitely hoping. Um, is, yeah, is there anything else we should hit on before we wrap up? Uh, if there's anything... If, you guys have ever wondered about tell you secretly the answer <laughs> do I have to turn off the recorder for that <laughs> yeah. we have to sign an NDA sworn to secrecy 
Yeah, as far as I know, that recorder's off. That's the only reason I'm answering the question now. Uh, and um, uh, uh, why don't you let uh, everybody know what you're working on right now? Yeah, anything? You have anything to pimp? A bunch of stuff. Nah. A bunch of stuff. A bunch of different movies, most of which I can't talk about. I do All a right. lot more movies than, uh, than uh, television series these days. Um, although I love television series because, you know, you get to spend so much time with uh, the actors and, and the team. Um, you know, and movies take a couple, three plus years to make. And so I see, you know, those actors over those couple, three years, but uh, not in the same way as a TV series where you see a, a lot of them, you know, once a week for a year at a time. But in any case, most of the stuff I'm doing now are uh, feature films, and for the most part, I'm not, you're not allowed to talk about those yeah. until cool. you know, a few months before they come out, when they start the press. Um, good that you're keeping busy. But, uh, uh, there's stuff happening. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. You'll see. <laughs> and I look forward to it. Well, I do want to thank you, Jamie. And, and everybody, everybody... Before I uh, hang up all fans of this show and anything that Greg Weissman's ever done, uh, they've got a new season of Young Justice coming their way. I, Everybody should look for that and tune in and vote twice, as it were. I cannot wait. Well, Jimmy, I do want to thank you for all the time you've given us and all the hours and hours and hours of entertainment you have given us over the years. I look forward to seeing what you do next. I look forward to seeing what you and Greg do next, whether it's season five of Young Justice, a new season of Gargoyles, which we're still hoping for all these years later, or a third option, something we don't know Any about. We'll Any take it. <laughs> Either way, we're grateful, and we can't wait to see, to see and hear what comes next. Really appreciate you joining us. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. And I would be happy with any or all of those uh, options that you just mentioned. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'll see you soon one way or another. All right. right. And thank you for listening. All right. And thank you for listening to the newest episode of Voices from the Eerie. Join us next time for Awakening Part 4. Stuff Happens. Once again, what are you doing here? And please, don't fall off the building this time.